do you like reading things that aren't produced by robots? Well, why not head on down to leastimportantthings.com? We've got a slew of articles ranging from the 10 best Star Wars characters according to a six-year-old, seven leadership lessons from Top Gun, or a new one written by our executive producer called How to Listen to Music You Hate. In the article, Jay, our executive producer, goes through the time where he learned to love country music and in contrast, how we learned to love Radiohead, two very different genres of music. But he humorously tells how you can overcome your prejudice, overcome your frustration with a genre, a style, or an artist, and actually learn to love the music that your friends tell you that you should love or that you actually hate. Again, check out those articles at leastimportantthings.com. All right, that's enough of me. Until you get some more of me, on with the episode. My summer days as a middle schooler with my best friend Justin were full of playing video games in air-conditioned basements interspersed with menial chores left on a passive-aggressive note in the kitchen. It read, clean dog poop in yard, mow lawn, weed garden. Those summers, when you're too young to get a job but old enough not to need supervision, was the definition of bliss. Our summertime sleepovers became residencies back and forth between my house and Justin's. Our parents took shifts stocking their pantries with cereal and potato chips. Without the bonds of school and homework, each summer break was a practice in starving off boredom while staying cool from the heavy weight of the humid Midwest heat. Our favorite part of the day was really the end of the day, when Justin's older brother got home from work. Not only was his half-decade more wisdom a refreshing relief from the Spider-Man meme of our summer, but he had the key, the key to unlocking the potential for young suburbanites. A car. You see, in Midwest cities like mine from the Motor State, bikes only got you to the end of the subdivision. Not really anything of value. So when Jake came home, we knew our options for entertainment expanded beyond the house grounds, especially because like clockwork, Every other night, we go to a magical palace of opportunity. The video store. Blockbuster Video was a seven-minute drive from the house, but would have been an action-packed bike ride on highway overpasses and industrial parks that our parents would have never let us attempt on two wheels. Our local Blockbuster was located off the East Beltline, next to the Krispy Kreme Donuts, and in front of a cavernous parking blacktop, dividing the street stores with a dilapidating mall. The rhythm of our Blockbuster trips went like this. First, check out any DVDs for sale in the elevated bin in the entryway. At this point, Blockbuster had been selling their used rentals at a discounted rate, kind of the beginning of the signs of the end. Next, we'd circle around the outside aisles, highlighting the new releases that we may have missed in theaters three months previous. Then, we dove into the genre rows. This is where the real adventure began. We meandered through each shelf and row, methodically tilting our heads and crouching and seeking something to grab our attention. Sometimes, we'd walk in single file like stormtroopers, hoping not to miss a coveted title that had been returned to the shelf earlier that day. Other times, we'd divide and conquer, 
often lifting a DVD cover over the divide to giggle at the title or cover art. And sometimes we'd come close to each other to whisper in hushed voices as we read the backside of a horror movie's description. But our ritual included another character. Without fail, every time we were scaling the genre shelves, a tall, hardy 20-something with bleached hair and deep sideburns wearing a bright blue collared shirt tucked into khakis would approach us and give the same exact spiel. Hi. Do you need help finding anything? No thanks, we said in disbelief. Even though we were at Blockbuster every other night, he still didn't recognize us. Well, I'm really smart and know a lot about movies, so uh, let me know. He delivered this line so monotone that we couldn't tell if it was sarcasm or just a deep pit of boredom. As he turned from us, he would always conclude his cameo with a plug for the ice cream they were selling at the counter. His name was Matt from Blockbuster. Yes, that is his full name, his real name, his God-given name to me. And let me tell you, I think about Matt every single time I drive past an abandoned video store. So we'd leave with a haul of two to three videos, depending on the day. After a quick dip in the brother's grandparents' pool, on the way home and a snack run to the grocery store, we'd snuggle up in the basement couch and pop in our selection. Jake, being the cinephile adult, typically knew if the movie was going to be a hit or not. But the anticipation and the mystery of our choice made loading the home screen of the DVD a pulse of adrenaline while we waited for the last bag of popcorn to pop. You see, we didn't have any other options. We'd pick the movie. We picked it out of Blockbuster. Jake paid for the rental. Thank you, Jake. We saw Matt. The entire summer day was leading to this climax. Our choice, our constraint of choice, made the commitment all the more real part of the experience turning a movie rental into an actual core memory for me. So what is it about choice? Does it matter? Is boundless choice a good thing? And what happened to Matt from Blockbuster? Welcome to a podcast called Least Important Things. I'm your host, Luke Ferris. Today, access to entertainment takes moments and taps. But doesn't our unbridled access to choice end up paralyzing us? I know you can't tell me right now because this is a podcast, but tell me if you've ever been in this scenario. It's nighttime. You sit down with your partner or roommate or family in front of the TV. You ask, What do you want to watch? Mumbles, suggestions, trailer watching arguing, and then you end up watching two hours of The Office reruns. Because of our access to everything, everywhere, all at once, we can watch, listen, stream, and read seemingly anything from human history. With endless choice, it makes it harder to find something good, or even just decent. And it's even harder to commit. So, how do you know what to watch? Does the paralysis of choice get you stuck on the couch, literally watching a black box? I wanted to know, so I asked you guys using a straw poll about where you get your recommendations to consume entertainment. And here's what you said. 
There were four selections in the poll of where do you get your recommendations. One was word of mouth, friends, family, and coworkers. Two was media publications and writers. Three was influencers, celebrities, and content creators. And four was algorithms from social media platforms or within a streaming platform itself. I think we had over 150 votes and 84% of you said that you get your recommendations for what to watch, for what to read, for what to listen to through word of mouth. Now, a bunch of you actually voted and wrote in recommendations. So here's a couple. Daniel from the Stuck on Sorna podcast said, that's a really good question. For TV, I search for top reviewed or most viewed movies. I just try to stay on top of new trailers and watch new releases. Also, if someone says it's a terrible movie, I need to watch it. Makes me curious. Jake said they are manifested from within me. (laughs) Amazing. Lee said, my friend runs Slant Magazine. They're pretty good. Again, there's so many cool indie publications that are doing great reviews and recommending things that are outside of an algorithm or a big streaming service. John said the podcast TVTL. Kurt said Boiler Room. If you haven't heard of Boiler Room, it's an amazing brand. You can find all these cool DJs, house DJs, artists streaming live on their YouTube channel. That's the Boiler Room. My sister Eliza said my siblings, don't get a big head. Clarence said friends with a shrug emoji. And Jackie said Reese Witherspoon. And and I would say your friends. I think that qualifies as friends and family. Hey friends, I'm cutting myself off here because I want to share a special mini-series that is in your least important things feed right now. I wonder if you were thinking, gosh, there's another Mission Impossible movie coming out this summer. I'd really like to rewatch them, but I don't want to do it alone. Well, I've got the solution for you. It's called Podcast Impossible. Alongside me and my good friend Mike, we are rewatching every Mission Impossible movie leading up to the new installment, the seventh installment coming out this summer. So, in order, once a month, we're going to rewatch a Mission Impossible movie and discuss it in a very open, fun, engaging forum right here on the Least Important Things feed. So, if you like rewatch podcasts, if you like good banter, cheesy dad jokes, and some really fun guests, please subscribe to Least Important Things and just refresh your feed because a new episode of Podcast Impossible will be coming. All right. Tagging myself back in in the episode. Now, the seemingly endless choices of entertainment isn't a new phenomenon. Starting in the 1980s with cable TV, the line, there's nothing good on TV, was used colloquially across America and littered in music lyrics and writing. Like technology's natural evolution, so too has the expansion of choice grown exponentially. A hundred channels are inconsequential to the thousands of direct streaming shows you can access right now. CDs at Target and Satellite Radio are cute when you compare to them to the gargantuan library over at Spotify and access to artists all across the world through SoundCloud and YouTube. And now we have to sort out what's becoming the default choice for us before we watch a movie, read a book, or listen to a song. Social media. Can you imagine if a blockbuster video was the size of New York City? That's what it's like when you log on to TikTok and start scrolling. This begs the question, is there too much content? 
Well, we live in a world where creating and delivering stories has never been easier. 25 years ago, I wouldn't be able to deliver this story to you without having access to a radio station or recording studio. And that's a good thing. I mean, for me at least. But with more people producing content, the more consumers are required to sort through the noise. And the more competition, the more content creators and Hollywood studios have to churn out more and more content. It's kind of an endless cycle. Earlier this year, my book club, well, technically it's an album club, read the 33 and a half booklet on Devo's 1980 album, Freedom of Choice. In the title track, the new wave band sings... Freedom of choice is what you got. Freedom from choice is what you want. Over 40 years later, it's still a relevant point. Do we want unlimited access or do we want curated selection? But freedom of choice has always been a fallacy, either by access or cost. Not everyone has had the freedom to stream and watch everything. And that illusion is continuing to shift. The cost of streaming is changing, with Netflix bringing down the hammer on sharing your login with your roommate from college. The cost of subscribing to the big five streamers, HBO Max, Peacock, Netflix, Hulu, and Disney Plus, are going to run you a monthly bill just as much as peak premium cable days. Soon, families are going to have to choose if they want access to the Disney vault or miss out on the latest prestige television happening over at HBO. And for music, it's never been easier for musicians to get their music heard. But with that access, the competition is so ruthless. This leads many bedroom rock stars to produce 30-second hits for TikTok. It's a much faster way to get noticed than producing a full album and putting it up on Spotify. So our perceived freedom of choice is becoming not so free. Okay, Luke, get off your high horse. How do we actually move forward? Well, I'm not going to glorify Blockbuster or Hit Radio. They obviously had their own problems. But I think the overwhelmingness of choice should warn us to be careful in the way we consume. When we create structure and limit our choice, we can actually bring back the experience. We can bring back the joy of discovery. These barriers actually allow us to focus and explore more, not to revert to what's comfortable There are some amazing platforms and places already leading the charge to reclaim the joy of discovery. Letterboxd and Goodreads are easy ways to personalize, review, and create lists of your favorite works in movies, TV, and books with the social edition of following friends. Criterion is a collection of repurposed high-definition Blu-ray and 4K films with custom covers and loaded extras. And to support my point, I think the backlash to the endless choice of the digital format is changing. Last year, vinyl had its largest year of selling in the millennium, and bookseller Barnes & Noble is adding more stores than closing stores for the first time in 15 years. When we consume art, the discovery and the community surrounding the work is just as important as the consumption. It's the reason why Netflix's biggest show of all time was about a chess player that took 20 years to make. It's the reason why a legacy sequel from Tom Cruise stayed in theaters for eight months. It's the reason that physical book sales have never been higher. 
The choice of what we consume is not about being fed. It's about collaborating together to process and enjoy. So next time you're sitting on the couch, be prepared. Have a journal of recommendations from friends and family. Talk to your coworkers, explore genres, go to a book club, and ask your local record and bookstore owners what they recommend. Trust me, they're really smart. Least Important Things is a podcast about the most important of the least important things in pop culture and entertainment. I know this is a loaded topic, and there's probably a lot of opinions out there, mine not being exclusive. So I want to know your thoughts. How do you look at consuming books, television, movies, listening to music? How do you create healthy habits in what you consume? How do you explore and try new things in what you consume so you can learn and grow and enjoy something different? You can always get in part of the conversation so it's not this one-way relationship by leaving a voicemail at www.speakpipe.com slash leastimportantthings or visiting our website at leastimportantthings.com and clicking the leave a voicemail button. You can email the show at leastimportantthings.gmail.com or reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at Luke H. Ferris or Least Important Things on Facebook. Thanks for listening and until next time, I'll talk to you soon.